turn in your Bibles to the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. If you need a Bible, follow along with us. We're going to maybe try to cover five Psalms here tonight. And um, Jerry's got a Bible. He'd be happy to hand you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But we're going to start in Psalm chapter 23 here tonight. And we can go kind of long tonight because it's raining and there's not, you know, it's kind of a nice night to just have Bible study. And, and uh, so we're in no big hurry. And as we've been going through the Psalms, we actually kind of been taking our time. Uh, initially, I had planned to go through five to ten Psalms a night. Uh, we are not making that pace at all. But I don't want to rush through it. It's been so rich and so good for us to look at these psalms, particularly as we've been seeing that most of them are penned by David uh, that we've read so far, and they bring such comfort to us and assurance and, and, and teaching us that even in the difficulties that we go through, that there's a song uh, that we can have in our hearts because we're trusting the Lord, and He is near, and He loves us, and that's what we're going to continue to see in the psalms here tonight as we start in Psalm 23. So, Father, we ask that you would just bless this night as we study your word once again. And Lord, there's nothing like just going through your word chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, desiring to to know you more, to see your love and your faithfulness and your goodness. And Lord, even as we see that David 3,000 years ago was writing these words down, inspired by the Spirit of God, that the troubles and difficulties and sorrow that he went through we're very real. And Lord, they're very real for our lives. And we know that we can cry out to you and we can find comfort through you. And Lord, that we can experience your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. So Lord, may you touch every heart that is here. And Lord, may you just um, draw us to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Psalm 23, as we look at Psalm 23, of course, it's probably the most familiar portion of the book of Psalms, probably the most familiar portion of all of the scriptures and all of the Bibles, uh, the Bible. And, and in Psalm 23, it's even familiar to non-believers. As the sweet psalmist of David, he writes this psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." It's a psalm that perhaps you have memorized. Maybe you memorized it when you were a child and you were going to children's ministry and they had you memorize it, or maybe just in your own devotion. It's a very familiar psalm, and it's a psalm that uh, gets read a lot. Perhaps even uh, I've heard it read in many funerals um, that are done. But here's the thing to remember is David is writing this, and we don't know when he wrote this psalm. I just have a feeling that perhaps, and, and that he wrote this, maybe this is one of the earlier psalms that he wrote, when he was a shepherd boy that was out there in the fields with the sheep. Remember that it was uh, Samuel that came to Jesse's house there in First Samuel and to anoint the new king of Israel. 
And, and all David's brothers were there in the house, and it was Samuel looking for the new king to anoint him. And the Lord said, no, that's not the one to anoint. And he asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, yeah, the youngest, he's ready. He's out with the sheep. And I think that I just pictured David out there with the sheep as David was a worshiper. David was one that I believe at a young age, even as we have seen, that you recall that it was in uh, Psalm 22 that he said, while I was on my mother's breast, I trusted in you. He was one that I think from an early age really developed a close relationship and fellowship with the Lord and was a worshiper of the Lord. And I just picture him out there with the sheep and he's writing this psalm as he's there by the still waters and in the green pastures. But here's the thing to remember as we hear this psalm that we don't want to forget that David is very personal here. That he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And this psalm is for those who, you know, the Lord is their shepherd. He is my shepherd, and I shall not want. In other words, we see here that David is very content. Uh, all I want is Jesus. All I want is the Lord is what he's saying. And, and I pray that we would be content as well, that the Lord is my shepherd. And, of course, Jesus would say in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd that, that lays down his life for the sheep. And my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and they follow after me. So Jesus is the good shepherd for you and for me. And a shepherd, of course, as you know, that uh, they were to protect and to provide and to guide and to care for and tend for and to watch over. And the question that everyone has to ask is, who is your shepherd? Because everybody has a shepherd. They're trusting in something or someone. And for you and I who are believers, the Lord is our shepherd. And we should have just that contentment in our hearts that you're my shepherd, Lord. What else would I want? What else do I need? And that's something that's really been pressed upon me as we've been taking our times going through these Psalms of David, that David, more than anything else, the reason I think that he's called a man after God's own heart is because he had desire to have a close fellowship with the Lord. And we see that he had a desire, and that was to be close to him, dwell in the house of the Lord, as we're going to see here tonight. And he says that you're my shepherd. You, you know, I shall not want. I'm very content. And as we go to our shepherd, we read in verse 2 that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So here is Jesus. He's our shepherd. The, the Lord, he's the one that he leads us to that place of peace and comfort. And, and you just picture, again, he makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. When this rain gets done, it's going to become very green, isn't it? And when we go up in the mountains, it's going to be so green that it'll make our eyes hurt. It's so lush, and that's the benefit of one of the benefits of getting this rain. And so it'll be lush and green, and, and maybe perhaps as you get away, as we're getting close to the summer months, that you like to go up into the mountains, Rocky Mountain National Park or other places. And isn't it wonderful to just go into where there's an open space or a green meadow and there's a small stream there? To go there, you picture it, and it's a place of peace, isn't it? It's a pl place of 
quiet. It's a place where it's calm. It's not rough waters, but the still waters. It's green pastures. And that's where the Lord desires to lead you and I as He is our shepherd that guides us to that place. As we go there and we're content, you know, I love to get up in the mountains and, and to be in certain places where nobody else goes, to be able to hike back into the Comanche wilderness or Naoti wilderness and the small streams there. And I think I love more than anything just stopping and just sitting there where it's quiet and it's peaceful and, and just, Lord, thank you. It's so beautiful that's here. And that's what he wants to do in our lives spiritually. Um, only the Lord can truly do that. And then he restores our souls. That is, he refreshes our souls. And our souls need to be refreshed because we go through the difficulties of life. We go through the challenges of life. It gets noisy in life. And we need to be restored and refreshed. And so I want to be in that place. And I know you do too. That there's green pastures. There's still waters. There's that comfort. There's that peace. There's that restoring of our, our souls to drink of him, to be refreshed by my shepherd as he leads us to the right paths. And he desires to do that. He leads me to the right paths. You see, we have already seen in the book of Psalms here that David talks about the path of the wicked and the path of the righteousness. And he desires to lead us in the right path to where that path's going to take us to where there's still waters and green pastures, where our souls are being restored. And we need to allow him to lead us in that place, to stay close to him. And so that's what he talks about in verse 4, that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So even in those times, those difficult times that we go through, where we wonder, Lord, are you there? And that's something that David would cry out, Lord, don't forsake me. Lord, are you there? He would cry out to the Lord. And here in this time, he knows that, Lord, you're with me, even in the valley that I walk through of death, in the dark valleys of life. Lord, you are with me, your rod and your staff. And that's what the shepherd would use to protect the sheep. You see, he wants to lead us to the right path. He wants to lead us through that valley of darkness and difficulties. And he has his rod and his staff. And that's what the shepherd would use to keep the sheep close to him. Because one of the tendencies that you and I will have when we go through those difficult times and in those dark valleys is we want to take off. We want to run. We want to get through it. We want to do our own thing or come up with our own answers or figure out a way out of it. And the Lord says, no, you're going to stay close to me. And that staff that the shepherd had back then would be a long stick with a hook on it to take that sheep and kind of pull it back. And the rod was there just to kind of bump it and bring it close to him. And that's what the Lord does. And even in times in our lives where we're going through difficulties, where the Lord is saying, no, trust in me, rest in me, wait on me. You know, don't go off on your own. Don't do your own thing. Don't try to come up with your own answers. But I'm going to get you through this valley of darkness. And I'm going to get you through the valley of death. That it feels like that things are dying all around you. Or, or things are just really difficult that you're, you know, working through. And stay close to me. And so they comfort me. That's what he says. You're riding your step knowing that I'm going to be close to you. That if I begin to stray off, that you're going to pull me back. You're going to guide me and direct me, and we're going to come to that place of green pastures and still waters that he desires to bring us to. And then in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup 
runs over. So it speaks that we can experience the goodness and the blessing of the shepherd even in the midst of our enemies. And that's good news for you and for me because we can have those that, that make it very difficult for us. And as we have been going through First Peter, of course, Peter writing to a generation of Christians there in the first century that were really going through it. They were really experiencing persecution. And you and I, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we can have those who revile us and speak evil of us. And we know that the Lord, even in those times, that we can experience his goodness and blessing even in the midst of that when people are coming against us. And he desires to work good in our lives. And we've talked about that quite extensively as we've gone through chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 1 Peter. But then the psalm, this wonderful psalm ends, with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So blessing of having the good shepherd is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the promise that you and I have. And as Paul would write to the Corinthian church, that the, the affliction that we go through now is nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits us. Oh, the affliction is very hard and it's very difficult. And it can bring fear in our lives and it can bring, uh, you know, discouragement to, and confusion. But what awaits us is a good shepherd who desires to lead us to the green pastures and the still waters. And I want to reiterate this, that folks, he's the only one that can do that. You see, there are other shepherds that are out there, Jesus said, but they're false shepherds. And they're there to steal and to rob. And there are those that are out there, the world's voices and philosophy that will come desiring to lead you to a place where they say is going to be good for you, but it's not. And you see, you want to make sure that you're listening to the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. My sheep know my voice. They hear me and they know me. And he promises to do that work in you, to lead you to that place of safety and comfort and peace in our lives, working for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. So a wonderful psalm, Psalm 23, and then Psalm 24, another psalm of David. Most commentators connect this psalm with David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Now, you may recall that it was in um, 2 Samuel chapter 6, that David, he brought the Ark of the Covenant that had been in Kirjath-Jerim. Saul, when he was pursuing David, had neglected the, you know, the spiritual uh, aspect of the nation. He was only interested in killing David. So here was the Ark of the Covenant that was sitting in Kirjath-Jerim. David, he conquers uh, Mount Moriah, where the Jebusites were, uh, and he builds the city of David, and, and there he is. He's desiring to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to put it into a tent. Now, at that time, there would be two tents of tabernacles. The tabernacle that was out there in the wilderness, you know, Moses and Book of Exodus that we read about. That tabernacle, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, that that tabernacle would end up most of that time up until David in a place called Shiloh, right in the middle of the country. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where the people would go to sacrifice there at the tabernacle. Well, that Ark of the Covenant, you recall in 1 Samuel chapter 4, got captured by the Philistines and by, through a series of events ended up in Kirjath-Jerim. So David, God is really blessing him. And as you read 2 Samuel chapter 6 and chapter 7, 
I believe that was really the highlight of David's uh, life and ministry and, and being the king. There he brings the Ark of the Covenant back. He, he, he's looking out and he sees that I live in a palace. The Ark of the Covenant there in the, the tabernacle in Jerusalem or the city of David, that, that it's in a tent. Lord, you're in a tent. And, and so he wants to build the Lord a, a, a temple. He wants to build the temple, ask Nathan about it, the prophet. Nathan said, do what's on your heart, David. But then the Lord said, Nathan, you spoke too soon. And he had to come back and tell David, David, you're not going to build the temple, but your son Solomon is. And the Lord has a word for you, and that is, he's going to make a covenant with you, David. And through your line and through your throne, it's going to be established forever because the Messiah is going to sit upon the throne of David. And you recall David worshiped the Lord and he was so overwhelmed. That was the height of David's life and ministry. Chapter 6, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, he wanted to establish a place of worship. And as he would prepare for the temple, as you read there in First Chronicles, David didn't build the temple, but he did a lot of things in getting the temple ready for when his son Solomon came on the scene. All the Levites were divided up, and the priests, and the singers, and the musicians, and the gatekeepers, you know, all those guys, the military was divided up to where Solomon just had to follow the plan. And David, through the Holy Spirit, was shown the plans and the dimensions of the temple. So David did a lot in preparing Solomon and helping get ready for the temple to be built. And one of the things that we saw very clearly going through First Chronicles is that David was a worshiper. He desired that there be worship there at the temple 24-7, all day, and, and the singers, and they were on different schedules and different shifts, and all of that that we discussed as we went through that. And so here is David. Um, he, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant. He's worshiping the Lord. He's praising the Lord. Keep that in mind as we go through this psalm, that the earth is the Lord's in verse 1 in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So the God of Israel is the God of all the earth. And everything on the earth is God's. And he is the one that owns a thousand cattle on the hill. And one day, one day, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth in what is called the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait till that happens. And when that does happen, the scripture says, as the prophet Isaiah writes, that righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And as we look at this world today, don't you see that it's getting more darker? Don't you see that it's getting you know, more depraved, and, and we can sense it, can't we? And I wonder, how long can we keep going uh, and, you know, without, you know, just total darkness and depravity? And I'll tell you what's keeping it from total darkness and depravity is you and I being the light of the world. Christians, as we pray, as we are reaching out, as we are, you know, ministering to others, we have such a profound effect on this world more than we know. But the Lord is going to come back. 
and he's going to establish his kingdom, and we're going to rule and reign with him. And I can't wait for that time to happen. So here is David. He's praising God and the God of all the earth, and, and you are the one that you are going to, um, you know, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness and the world and those who dwell therein. And so he's the one that's going to establish his reign on the earth. And then in verse 3, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? So here David, as he um, is talking about the Lord, who can come before God, who can stand with him? And then in verse 4, he tells us, he tells us the one that's going to be close to the Lord, the one that's going to be standing with the Lord, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. So who's the one that's going to stand close to the Lord? He who has, number one, a clean hand. That is, one who is honest and just in their actions. And as Christians, the Lord desires for us to have clean hands. That is, that hands that are honest and, uh, as we work, honest in what we do, hands that are serving others, hands that are giving to others. That's what it means to have a, a clean hands. We as Christians, we're not ripping people off. We're not, you know, greedy. We're not trying to get things just for ourselves. But clean hands mean that I have hands that, Lord, that are serving others. I got hands that are being honest in my work towards others. And I want to have clean hands because that honors you, Lord. So who's the one who stands with the Lord? The one who has clean hands. Second of all, the one who has a pure heart. You can write in your margins or underlined it. Speaking of godly character and motives. Now, none of us have a perfect heart. But the one who truly has clean hands and a pure heart, you know, make it possible to stand close to the Lord. To, to be there. He desires for us to have that pure heart. Also, the scripture talks about not only a pure heart, but a clean heart. And a pure heart is a heart that desires to be completely surrendered and follow after the Lord. You know, here's an illustration. It may not be the best illustration, but I was thinking of this, that, um, you know, one of the things, is, as some of you know, and I try not to talk too much about it, but I do love to, to go fishing. That's one of the things I enjoy doing. And um, I love fly fishing. But sometimes when I'm out with the guys, you know, I'll tell you a little something. I'll sneak a, you know, spin rod out there or something. And, uh, but my daughter, Barbara, she is a purist. If you put a spin rod in her hand, she will just absolutely have nothing to do with it. And sometimes I'll say, Barbara, you know what? If we just get a spin rod out here, you know, and she won't have anything to do with it. She's a purist when it comes to fly fishing. That's what I, I tell her. She won't have anything to do with any other method of fishing. She is a fly fisherman or a fly fisherwoman, I guess I should call her. And, um, and that's what she's going to do. So that's kind of what I'm trying to say is as we have a pure heart, Lord, I want to follow after you wholeheartedly, right? I want to follow after you and be surrendered to you. I don't want to go any compromise, any way of the world. I don't want to go my own way, but I have a pure heart. I love you, Lord, and I'm content. You're my shepherd, and I shall not want. And, Lord, I want to just be surrendered to you. That's what the Lord desires for us to have, the clean hands and the pure heart. And that is going to the Lord over and over again and just staying close to him. And then thirdly, you know, he says that it also is the one who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. 
David sinned, didn't he? And he sinned greatly. He committed murder. He committed um, adultery. But one thing that David did not do is bow the knee to an idol. And that's one of the reasons why the other kings of Judah were compared to David. Because David had a heart after God. And you see it, we've already seen it, in these Psalms that he desired to draw close and stand close to the Lord. I want to have clean hands. I want to have a pure heart. I'm not going to bow the knee to an idol. And it's so easy today to have an idol in our lives and in our hearts. And an idol isn't just a statue, you know, that's in our house, but it can be anything that has priority over our relationship with the Lord. There's a lot of things that can become an idol. You know, one of the things that I have to be very careful about, that I don't let ministry become an idol to me. And I think that there are ministers that are out there that ministry over time becomes an idol. It just consumes them. And it actually becomes more important than their relationship with the Lord. And what happens is they're not having their devotions. They're not really seeking prayer. Oh, they'll do prayer when they're with the people. Oh, they do Bible study when they have, you know, a service that they have to teach for Sunday morning or midweek or a conference that they have to do. But here's the thing. The Lord's more interested in me having that personal relationship with Him, and that's the priority of my life. And I need to be careful that ministry doesn't become an idol. We need to be careful that our business doesn't become an idol, our possessions, you know, uh, whatever it might be and mean for us, our hobbies, that, Lord, you are preeminent over everything in every area of my life. So not bound the need to an idol and then not swearing deceitfully. So not only honest with your hands, but honest with your words. Letting your yes be yes and your no be no. That you speak truthfully. That you speak words of edification and, and of grace. And that's the one who the Lord desires to bless and to, to really uh, use, as David is saying, who's the one who will ascend to the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place. Those four things that we looked at. And then in verse 5, and he shall receive blessing from the Lord. So there's blessing in those four things, having clean hands and a pure heart and not bowing to idols and then not swearing deceitfully. You will be blessed. That's a promise from Scripture and righteousness from God of his salvation this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. So how is it that we can have those things characterized in our lives? We seek him, don't we? We seek his face. We draw close to him. That is so imperative that we do that, that we are developing and growing in our close relationship with him. So where does our righteousness come from? It comes from him. It doesn't come from us. It comes from him as we seek him and draw close to him. And then in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. And who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. In verse 10, Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Shalah, that pause that is there. He's the king of glory. Now remember that they believe, most interpreters and Bible scholars, that David you know, wrote this uh, at the time that he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem to put into the tabernacle there, waiting for the temple to be built. And it was a place of worship that he would establish. And the, t and the tabernacle there, the Ark of the Covenant, 
was, of course, the lid on it with the cherubim. And it was the Lord that said to Moses that I'm going to dwell between the cherubim. My glory, the Shekinah glory of God there in the Holy of Holies. And David is just expressing the king of glory is what he says shall come in. And who is this king of glory? It's the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And then he pauses. And so that's Psalm 24. And then Psalm 25 is another psalm of David. And it's written when David was experiencing trouble. We don't know the specific time of when David wrote this. But we do read in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. And let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. So David writes, I lift up my soul. And he's doing this because he's downcast. He cries this out. He says, Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, I, I trust in you because he's downcasted. He, he is going through difficulty. And you see, David shows us something and teaches us something that's so very, very important. And that is when we're downcast, we can have a tendency to just go into a spiritual funk. And that's a natural tendency. But David teaches us something here in the Psalms, and that is that's a time where we lift our souls up to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm downcast. I'm going through difficulty. Lord, I lift my soul up to you. And I just picture David, he's lifting up his hands to the Lord. He's crying out to him. Here I am, Lord, completely surrendered to you. I need your help. You are my only help. And in those times where we're experiencing that difficulty in our own lives, you know, it can be hard to worship. We, we can be so discouraged and defeated. But may we be ones that, oh, I just want to be more like David was, that, Lord, I lift up my soul to you because I have nowhere else to go. And you are my strength. And David here, as we read in, in, in verse 4, show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. And lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. David is waiting on the Lord. I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to know your paths. The word ways used four times in this psalm. And this is an excellent prayer for all of us. Lord, show me your ways, your path. And what is the path? He leads me to the path of what? Righteousness, Psalm 23. He's going to lead you and I to the path of righteousness, the right path, as we lift up our soul, as we cry out to Him. And the way to know that the right path is to know His Word and to know His truths. Because you're my salvation and I wait on you. So oftentimes in the world in which we live, we get so impatient. Do you realize, I've come to realize, that the Lord isn't always in a hurry? with me and I'm usually in a hurry and we live in an instant world where we want instant communication right I mean we have our smartphones we have iPads we have our computers email we have uh, texting we have all kinds of stuff ways to communicate that we can communicate with somebody instantly right away even if they're across the country or in another part of the world it's absolutely amazing isn't it 
and we just have that mentality of, of we want instant communication, we have an instant world where we want things, you know, we have fast food, and I want, you know, my food right away, and we have to wait for, you know, it, we get impatient, and that can carry on, unfortunately, into our spiritual lives, and we can't let it do that because the Lord says to wait. David says, I need to wait. And what can happen is, is that, okay, Lord, I'm in this difficult time. I'm going to pray. Nothing's happening. (laughs) You know, I'm not hearing from you, Lord. And we get all anxious and we run out the door and, you know, we're going to do our own thing or we get all discouraged, you know, towards the Lord or whatever it is. We need to learn as Christians to wait on the Lord and not to get impatient. And the reason that we can wait on the Lord is because we trust in the Lord. Lord, you haven't forsaken me. Lord, you're near me. Lord, you love me. You're still working in my life. I just need to wait on you. And as we wait on him, he's working that endurance and perseverance in us. And he's growing our faith. And we're learning. And we're growing, you know, in our walk with him. And we see his goodness. And we see that he desires to work in, in such a wonderful way. But we got to wait and not get in a big hurry. So David here, he learned to wait on the Lord. As he, he says here, I want to know your ways. And Lord, I wait on you. And I desire to, to wait on you all the day. And then in verse 6, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. It's kind of interesting as you read different commentators on when David perhaps wrote this. Some have suggested, as we'll see in a few verses, that he wrote this after his sin with Bathsheba because he's going to say, you know, pardon my iniquity for it is great. Others say that David wrote this at an early age. He's looking back, he's thinking, don't remember the, you know, sins of my youth. And you know how we can do that. We think, oh, you know, back at that time, the best thing about yesterday is that it's gone. And it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, and I can move on. And so David, he's referring back to his youth. Don't, don't remember, you know, the, the uh, sins of my youth nor my transgressions. But, Lord, he always was falling on the mercy of the Lord. He was always uh, falling upon the goodness of the Lord. Uh, for your goodness sake, O Lord. And verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners uh, in the way. He humble, he guides in justice. And the humble, he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. To such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So here, he realizes that the Lord is good and upright. And again, the humble... The one who humbles their heart, the one who is soft before the Lord, that as he keeps talking about, he teaches his way, and the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. So not only are the paths of the Lord, Psalm 23, are righteousness, but mercy and truth. And he desires, listen, to lead us in that path. But it comes from the one who humbles himself. The one who humbles himself is the one who says, Lord, I need you. And Lord, I come humbly before you and call out to you and I wait on you. 
And so here is David. He, he's talking about God's way. He, he teaches the humble, the sinner. God is so good and upright, and he focuses on the covenant and his testimonies. And then in verse 12, who's the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach the way he chooses. He, he himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The seeker of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, and he shall pluck my feet out of the net. So you can write in your margins, how is it that we can learn the ways of the Lord and the paths of the Lord, which are true and, and righteous and mercy? Number one, we humble ourselves. Second of all, we have to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is just a reverence of the Lord. Lord, that you are great and awesome. You're almighty God, and I reverence you. And he's going to teach you. He desires to teach us, but he's going to resist the proud, the scripture says. He resists the proud because the proud, even as we're going to talk about on Sunday morning, is the one that says, I can do it my way. I know what's best, and I don't need the Lord, and I'll come up with my own plan. And the one who is proud is the one who isn't fearing the Lord. But the one who humbles himself and fears the Lord, that you are Lord and you are good and upright and you desire to teach me that your ways as you guide me, do you realize that God wants to guide you? Sometimes Christians, they doubt that. Does God really want to guide me? Yeah, humble yourself. Let's fear the Lord and call out to him and wait on him. And remember that he is good and he teaches the way he chooses and we can know that he's going to get us to that place that he desires for us to go. So David knew that, and, and he shall pluck my feet out of the net, that which ensnares me. And then in verse 16, turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me, and let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. So David, once again, he's pleading for help. He's pleading for help for himself and from his enemies and for the nation as well as we end this psalm. But he says, I wait on you. And listen, you may be in a place where you feel like that there's trouble surrounding you and your feet are in the snare but you humble yourself you fear the lord and know that he's going to guide you he's going to teach you and he's going to deliver you and you are not going to be put to shame he's going to preserve you he is with you and he's going to get you through and he's going to get me through because you belong to him he is my shepherd he's my shepherd that leads me beside the still waters and the green pastures. And he's going to lead me to the, the paths of righteousness. And Psalm 26, very quickly, and then we'll end there tonight, is another psalm of David, um, and it speaks of his love for the sanctuary. As he writes, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord, I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of the evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. David wanted to make sure that he was in a place where he wasn't influenced by the wicked or by evil. 
And one of the things that he does here, he says, prove me, Lord. In other words, test me. Examine me. Try my mind and my heart. Listen, are we willing to do that? Are you and I willing to do that? It's very imperative that we do that. That we be like David, that we say, Lord, search me and try me. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Are we willing to really open up our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, will you show me if there's anything, any attitudes, any, you know, uh, ways that I'm living, um, any carnality, any sin in my life, will you test me and prove me, my heart, my mouth, my actions? And you know what? He's very good at that. He's very, very good at that, isn't he? And here's the thing, that we should rejoice in that. Now, some people think that the chastening of the Lord is a bad thing, and it's not. It's a good thing because he loves us, right? And any of us that are parents, that we have children, when we discipline our children and we chasten them, is it a bad thing? No, it isn't always fun. It isn't always fun for the kids. But we do it because we love them, right? And we want them to do well. And we want them to know right from wrong. Well, it's the same thing with the Lord. And it takes a heart who's humble before him and a heart that says, Lord, you try me and test me and be willing to do that. You, 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 you know, here's my heart and, and you show me the way. And I will wash my hands in innocence, verse 6, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all your wondrous works. Do we do that in life? Do you tell people the wondrous works that he has done? And Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and a place where your glory dwells. Again, speaking of the tabernacle. And do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hand is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. As for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. So Father, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we've gone through these psalms, that we would be ones, that first of all, that we would be content having you as our shepherd, knowing that you want to guide us and lead us, that we would have clean hands and a pure heart, that, Lord, that we would allow our hearts to be tested and tried by you. And, Father, that we would um, not have idols come into our lives that has priority over you, and, Lord, that we would be ones that not act deceitfully. Father, I thank you that you are good. And, Lord, perhaps tonight there are those who are waiting for you to work in their circumstance or in their life. <clears throat> Maybe there's distress. And I just pray on this night right now that as we are looking to you and we're going to come to the communion table, that we would lift our souls up to you and cry out to you because you're our help. And you're our strength. And you desire to lead us to a path of truth and mercy and righteousness. That, Lord, that we would just look to you for everything and be content with our closeness with you you're the lifter of our heads Father I do pray tonight if there's anyone here 
or watching on live stream that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. That maybe you don't know what it means to have that fellowship with God. What it truly means, it means surrendering your life to Jesus. It means that, as the Bible says, that our sin has separated us from God. But Jesus came and he died for you to redeem you, made atonement for you. He died on that cross that you can be forgiven of sin and come into right relationship with a father that comes only through a faith and belief in Jesus Christ, believing that he rose from the grave, promising you eternal life. And if that's you tonight, and you don't know if you're right with God, if you're listening or watching and, and you're saying, I don't know if I got a personal relationship with Jesus, cry out to him and open up your heart to him. He loves you. That's why he came to this world, to die for you. He took all of your sins upon himself and he cried out from that cross, it is finished. I, I've made atonement. And he loves you and he rose from the grave proven and validating that he died for your sins, that he conquered sin and death. And salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's a gift. He desires to save you tonight and for you to get right with him as you call out to him and open up your heart and surrender your life to him. And you can do that right where you're at, whether you're listening on live stream or out in a coffee shop or in this sanctuary. But you can cry out, Jesus, I believe in you, that you are the Son of God who died for me, a sinner. And I confess my sin. I confess that I have fallen short. I'm not perfect. I transgressed your ways. But you died for me. I believe that. And you're, Lord, knocking on the door of my heart, and I open up my heart to you right now for you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. And hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if anybody did make that decision tonight, when we're done with communion and after the service, I want you to come up and tell me the decision that you made. But Lord, right now as we come to the communion table, I just pray that we would Lord, hold the elements in our hands, the bread and the cup, realizing this incredible new covenant that we've entered in with you, a covenant of love and of grace and of mercy and your incredible work that you did on the cross for us. May we just be at awe and, Lord, knowing that if we can trust you with our salvation, we can trust you with our lives, whatever's going on presently. So may we rejoice right now and worship you and lift up our souls to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers are going to hand out the communion elements. I would ask that you just hang on to them and we'll partake of them together. Just continue to worship the Lord and draw close to him right now. It's, it's time of worship. And